Welcome to the Don't Overthink This podcast, where we explore and connect ideas about overthinking it. I'm Brian Heath. And I'm Ross Jackson. Uh, Dr. Jackson, this is a special episode of Don't Overthink This podcast. We've recently released our book, Thinking Analytically, Five-Minute Reflections on Data Analysis and Organization. And so we decided to talk about that whole experience of what it was like to create this book and maybe provide insight into the book itself. So overall, how has uh, your experience been with uh, releasing this book and what kind of insights have you delivered or come across? Well, let me let let's let me take one step back because I, I think that it would be beneficial to the listener to put this topic really in its full and proper context. So this is the podcast about the book informed by the blog that inspired the podcast. So in, in the sort of circular logic of our existence, uh, we've now come full circle. So what what do you think about the sort of meta-ness of, of us making this book? I think it's perfect. I love the, the circular logic that is uh, really hard to follow, uh, but it truly, it's, it's been a good experience. And I think the, the meta-ness of it is exactly, I think, right in line with what we aspire to achieve with not overthinking it. Because if you tried to overthink this, you, your your brain might explode. So, you know, when we started the blog, the blog had a, a few very minor rules, but but one of the rules was that there was no editing, there was no free thought to the topic. We, we would just sit down and we would write a topic for 20 minutes and and just leave it at that. So it's it's a very different thing to to take uh, that type of input and then try to structure the coherence of a book. So so what do you think about the the process that we used for the input, the 20 minute writing? And then what was your experience on taking those 20 minute writings and putting it in a in a book format? Yeah, the initial, I think, I, I remember I was down in my basement in my other home to show it's been like about a year and I've moved since I was sitting in the basement and I was like, I think I, I think I should write 20 minutes a day on this, whatever, and not think, overthink it. At the time, we didn't have the idea of don't overthink that as a name. We just had the idea that we should do this. And then I texted you, I was like, hey, do you want to get on board with this? And you're like, yeah, sounds great. And so, uh, and then we put some of those rules in place. And I think in some ways, if we weren't aligned, our maybe this approach to create a book would be very challenging. Um, but the intent wasn't in the beginning to, to create a book, although I'd say probably within like a week, we were like, we should try to create a book from this. And we had no idea what it would turn into. But I do think that as we've gone through it, reading each other's work, experiencing life throughout the year, I, I think we ended up aligning a lot more than probably you would have suspected, um, even though we are like-minded and obviously for colleagues and friends and and stuff. So we would likely have the same wavelength. I think if you two, two people that think very differently and have them write, you might get a different result. But maybe that's not the case. But I think when you start reading and writing and engaging, you start to get some alignment. But there was definitely, I think, a lot of kudos to you for a lot of the editing, initial edit of how in the world we put all these 400, I forget what the total number was that went into the book initially. It was like over 400, I think. Uh, posts that got to get edited down and, and categorized in some form or fashion. But uh, overall, I'd say I, I enjoyed the experience and kind of been waiting for this moment for, you know, nine months or so. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I think that I was, 
I was a little, I was struck by the amount of coherence among our writings. So the the ability to partition the book into segments, data analysis, management, the sort of thematic areas. I, I was a little bit surprised at at the degree that within relatively short order, these could be segmented in, into areas of, of coherence. So, you know, uh, in, in addition to our sort of conceptual alignment, as far as if we were talking about analysis, obviously we're fairly well aligned on, on what organizational analysis looks like or what it can do. But I was, I was also surprised that, you know, what amounts to a collection of somewhat random musings of what's going on in one's life and what's on one's mind was so easily partitioned into sections. I'd love for us to one day have an experiment where we find the two most different people we could find and have them write in the same process and see what outcome it comes to. That might be the only way to get a true read on it. But I do think we probably, as I would just say, we as a royal, we, the you know, the culture, America, whatever world, probably think we're not as aligned as maybe we are. But when we start writing and genuinely expressing our humanity or what we're thinking about, we might find that we're more aligned to what we think at times, potentially, especially for reading everyone else's work, right? Because this was an active process where I think if you were to do a timeline of our works over time, and some of this is in papers or papers in the works that we have as well going on, you probably see alignment more happen and ideas cross-pollinating, like me using words that I would have never used naturally and you using words that you wouldn't have used naturally. Uh, so I, I think it's a natural way to kind of create alignment, but I was struck by how much coherence there was in it as well overall. And yeah, I think overall it's a good book. I think one of the things that struck me as well as I was reading and as I was writing is, you know, initially, you know, we're both analytically minded. I figured we would end up writing posts that were like extremely or maybe more technical um in nature are more popular in terms of what's out there in terms of the pop idea of analysis and data and mathematics and statistics but really we kind of very quickly ventured away from the the standard treatments of these things and something deeper which i think is probably right reflects our experiences of having gone through all that and saying like no we have other thoughts and opinions that are beyond this that try to challenge the status quo that and so to me i thought that was interesting the evolution of you know, because it could just be a popular book of here's 10 techniques to how to do this. And here's 20 management approaches. It, it quickly went in a different direction that reflect our sort of learnings and lessons and ideally start to, I think, align to how we think about and uh, doing work and how we think about strategies and purpose and, and, and our role in the human society. Yeah, I, I think that I think very quickly it the book suggests, at least to me, that we came to view data and analysis as tools and procedures, and those tools and procedures are targeted towards recognized deficiencies or problems, whether they're organizational or societal, and that very quickly our focus sort of was driven to how do people enact analysis in a way that is transformative, either in terms of performance or um, social benefit. Yeah, I'd be really interested, assuming more than you and I read it, which I think there's probably some people underway who are reading it, really curious their perspective 
on w- how they read it and where it takes them. So to me, that's, you know, the the part maybe in a year, because we kind of prescribe in the book, like read one of these a day, and there's like roughly 300-ish posts or uh, articles in it. So I'm really curious to see where people land at the end of that time. But one thing that struck me as well as I've gotten the book, I've the copy, my copy, and I, I was sitting there last night, like reading through it. I was like, actually, even though I've read it like a million times by now, by trying to edit, I was sitting there reading through it. And my wife was like, I think it's weird that you're reading your own book. And I was like, well, it's kind of like an out-of-body experience because half of these are not mine, but I feel like the book in, co- in completeness adds a different level of coherence that you don't get in just 20-minute reflections, but there's like a collectiveness to it. Have you had the same experience? Do you find yourself opening it up and reading it other than this self-serving perspective? And I won't exclude that as a potential other reason of why I read it because I just like reading my own stuff, but but curious, what, have you opened it up and paged through it? So, so I would say, you know, going back to the ancient Greeks, uh, Heraclitus famously said, one never steps in the same river twice because the, the water and the current is moving forward and you are stepping into a different river uh, even at the same point. So um, I would contend that uh, the you and I that uh, wrote the material is different than the you and I that uh, edited it and put it in its uh, final format and is different than the you and I that have read and reflected on uh, the content. And and I think that, you know, incorporated into each of the daily readings is a reflection question. And really what you and I are engaged in as we look at the finished product is is to reflect both on the content and on the process. So it it doesn't surprise me. I I don't view it as uh, in any way egotistical or uh, superfluous that uh, you you might want to review the the finished product. So, so have you looked through it at all? I have. have. I, I have. Can and you read just one post? Like, what's the? Is it like? Is it Lay's or Ruffles? Is like, can't you? Or Pringles? You can't just take one bite. Like, do you feel? <laughs> can you read well, this I, one? I, you know, I try to. I try to live the advice that I give. So uh, you know, I in in the book we we sort of ask the reader to take a slow and deliberate pace. So, you know, I might read more than one, but I, I haven't sat down and, and read more than five at any one time. So how about, how about you? I totally uh, respect that. And I think a lot of times of stuff that's said in the book are self-reflective of, for me, at least some of the things of things that I want to change or improve or think about myself to get better. And so I definitely think that, you know, the one a day is the right strategy. However, sometimes I can't resist and I will read. I think I said, I think I read like 15 the other day, just uh, in, in one sitting, just because um, I wanted to see what the next one was, the next one was the next one. That's kind of more of an indication of just me. And obviously I kind of know what, what they're in there, what, what's it about, but I'm also, I think reading it, anticipating people asking us questions about it, especially as it reflects work we do and how we think about things and it does provide challenging approaches and strategies and and it is good to have reminders of things so uh, but I do think the initial first read should be at that pace and then maybe later on it becomes a faster pace so uh in in your looking through the book do you do you have a section of the book that you think is for lack of a better word the best I mean do, you know one that you think wow this is this is the section that really is the contribution of this book. I haven't run across like 
the full or that point where I've come to that formal likeness of like, hey, this is the best section. I think they all have pieces to it. I would say the the later sections when we start to get into like resistance and solidarity and management is probably the most challenging and the most forward looking of providing possibilities of where to go as an analyst and as 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 group of people thinking analytically. The beginning stuff is 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 like the introduction, and I think there's some interesting things there that will either turn people on or turn people off depending upon. <laughs> where you're coming from so i'm really curious about some like what hardcore professional analysts when they start reading it because there's some like in the first few pages where it just says like it challenges a lot of the assumptions that people operate under and so i wonder if they will walk away from it at that point or whether that will entice them to read further on but i definitely don't and i think that's where that transition point to because i don't think you would ever pick up an analytics book and expect it to be talking about solidarity at the end uh, and and, and so I think that probably transition alone is is a is is the is probably the main contribution. How about yourself? See, I would adamantly disagree with you. When when I picked up this book, I was not at all surprised that it ended in solidarity. It's because your whole life is about solidarity. <laughs> well, right. I've had a year of of working with uh, you to to develop it, so I I was not surprised. Well, I think other people will be surprised. I think when they read it, they will be surprised of where it goes. And uh, I look forward to people having their own interpretations of what it means and uh, misappropriating it and like, like what we said. So, so I think an interesting maybe point of extension is that, you know, you and I worked on this and, and certainly collaborated and, and wrote independently and edited collectively. And it would be very easy for us to, to sort of just focus on our effort on this. But you and I contracted with uh, Tammy Boyce Design uh, to do the, the cover uh, development and the uh, pagination. And, you know, I think she did an exceptional job. I, I think that she provided exceptional value for what she charged versus the quality of, of what she produced. And then the, the sort of relative ease at which we could take advantage of an existing infrastructure and, and upload this on, onto Amazon and have it available. And uh, within, you know, I think within 24 hours of getting the material from, from Tammy Boyce, uh, we were able to have it live on on Amazon for uh, delivery. So, you know, what do you think about the the lessons that that can be taken away from this in terms of seeking and and getting professional support and sort of a freelance model, and then uh, leveraging the existing infrastructure? Yeah, I think Tammy did a great job. And could we have figured out something? And yeah, I suppose, but it would have been subpar and it would have taken us like <laughs> a lot longer than what she did because she did an excellent job. And the creativity and the professionalness that she put together for, I think this highlights that in the freelance model, you know, you need to really think about what are your expertise, like what's your expertise and what is your time worth? And and there's others who have learned and developed skills to do things and they exist that way for a reason and you should absolutely leverage them. So I was having a chat and I think you and I have actually talked about this, but I was talking to someone else the other day and they were talking about how um, they hate mowing their lawn. And I know this person makes a significant amount of money that they could afford to, for a lawn service. And I was like, well, 
maybe just pay someone to do it. Like, have you done the math on whether it's worthwhile your time to do it? And, you know, so they thought about it. And, and for me, you know, I, I definitely pay a landscaper to do, to do that work. They're professional. They do a great job, you know, and uh, I don't necessarily enjoy it. I understand if some people love the like Zen nature of mowing your grass, which, you know, I, I can respect and, and understand. But if you hate it um, and you can, you know, have the opportunity to pay someone else to do it, I think it actually makes sense because other people love doing the work. And Tammy did a great job. So I think that freelancer model that we've talked about in the book and that we're putting into practice as you and I do work, I think it makes a lot of sense to find people and to leverage it that way and to not think of it that you have to do it all yourself. So definitely leverage experts out there to help you and get things rolling. I do think it's interesting that we were able to you know, with the self-published approach, get it out there like so quickly, right? It's kind of crazy to think that you can put a book out there and have it as good a quality as it is, you know, within 24 hours and be accessible. So I think, you know, you need to leverage those industrial systems to help you spread ideas. But I think at the flip side of that is we talk about uh, in the book and, and other times the sort of age of choice. So it's so easy to publish a book literally anyone could probably do it like you know so the question is how do you how do we get it in front of people who might want it and then how do people decide that it's worthwhile because there's endless choices and so i think for us the the next adventure is how do we get people to read it who we think might value it and what does you know what does that choice look like but you know the alternative is that you know we could reject the amazon model and try to go to the traditional publication role or Maybe we go to the local printer and print out a bunch of pamphlets and hand it, you know, do it ourselves. But it's really hard to scale that way. So I think in the modern, postmodern, metamodern condition, we need to leverage all the tools we have available for us. Yeah, I, I tend to think, you know, I, I, I look at sort of barriers to entering the economy. And, and in many respects, I think that barriers have never been lower. The, the cost of a laptop computer, let's say it's $1,000, internet connectivity or, or email, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month, whatever. Um, you can go to coffee houses and get free Wi-Fi. Uh, the ability to, you know, use existing Word document type formats, get it generated, self-publish, there really are very small barriers to to entering into that space. And the, you know, things like healthcare costs, uh, you know, insurance, things like that are sort of where, you know, maybe people that would be incentivized to, to go their own way to be more of a freelancer, uh, they, they feel the pinch of the risk that these things that larger organizations provide. Uh, but I wonder, you know, what would society be like if more people had the, the, the sort of basic support in terms of insurance and healthcare? Uh, would, would we see an, an increase in people freelancing and, and creating things that they think are important for social consumption? Both of us are in the, you know, well off, well off enough with jobs and things that we can do all those things. And there's certainly others who for a variety of reasons, um, societal and just being unlucky, don't have those opportunities. So I gotta, I, I have to think that if there were more, if there, if there was less barrier even for them or more opportunities, that there would be a lot more of the freelance approach or just 
maybe even stronger community connections because with that you're it enables you to find people who are like you or or to engage and talk to more people who are different where if you are stuck in a you know a non-livable wage job you're you're working like three or four jobs you have no time to consume and think about other things and, and how to operate so I'm, I'm curious you know um if if you had more free time let's say three three more hours of free time a day would you spend that time developing your content like writing more blog posts writing more books or would you spend that time uh reading other people's production mm. yeah i think that's a great question it, let's assume I have to pick one or the other. Right now, I would probably lean towards, hmm, right now, I feel like creating my own stuff feels more where I'm at, but I would probably go through phases where I would transition from doing a lot of my stuff and then kind of being like, I got nothing else. And then consuming others would probably be the other part. So, you know, the average would be probably an hour and a half, one hour and a half, the other. How about you? So recent, historically, I would say reading other people's work, and, and by historically, I would say that's easily 90% of, of my existence. I'm definitely not surprised by that either. Um, recently, it's, it's been much more focused on creating my own content, but I, I sort of have a, a renaissance of being pulled to, to re-engaging with more of other people's work. So I, I kind of feel like I need to sort of dig through uh, historical material to to maybe crystallize or refocus some of my next phase of production. Yeah, my I think I go through the similar phases, although in many ways, I kind of like pick up on a theme or an idea from someplace and I'm happy to consume it. And then I, I, I find myself leaning more towards generating my own than I do relying upon others. Although I do strongly, obviously, think about what other people do. But I find I kind of um, am very, like if you were to track the type of people that I read about or read their ideas or consume their content, it's a, a very sort of interesting niche. I don't think I definitely have a very wide breadth of reading everything to try to capture what is possible. But I have a feeling you go deeper and read more than, than me for sure. And I just sort of pick up on an idea and I kind of run with it as far as I can take it. Well, I will say, so I think, you know, if I were to pinpoint the the contribution, the intellectual contribution of other people's work that you brought to the book, uh, several of the posts, and and certainly a lot of our discussion is, is the work of uh, Alan Watts. So I, I would say if I had a uh, hundred industrial engineers slash analysts in a room, um, I would expect that that one or fewer people would uh, draw upon the work of Alan Watts uh, in, in in an articulation of what they do. So, uh, can you describe sort of how you became familiar with Watts's work and and sort of the connective tissue to what we're engaged in? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was very random. Uh, I was doing work, and typically in the background, I'll have some sort of music on. And I typically don't want words in the music because it distracts me. Sometimes it's jazz. Sometimes it's other miscellaneous things. And in this case, it was um, just sort of electronic background sort of music. And then as it was um, going on, this like song came on where it was infused with Alan Watts, like 
quotes and statements. And I was, and so it, first I was annoyed because I was like, I had this channel turned on because I don't want that. But then I started listening to it and I was like, this guy's interesting. Who is he? And then I started uh, looking up his books and listening to his lectures and other sorts of stuff. So that's how I kind of stumbled upon, upon it. But I think probably the thing that attracted me to it the most was just the, it was clearly, you know, intellectual and analytical and thought, but the, but not the it's scientific enlightenment approach to it. So it was like applying thinking and, and analysis with a Zen, you know, Eastern feel to it. And he, in his background, he, he was a, um, he was a minister in England and then kind of like gave it up and became like a Buddhist and, and all this and Zen stuff and was in the seventies. And I also enjoyed listening to like the very hippie sort of like vibe of that time period as well in, in his, in his stuff. So yeah, I just felt like it was, I love the, 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 the weird mashing and it opened up a potential of thinking about things and integrating some of those viewpoints in that I haven't really explored much. And so he was probably like my entry point into a lot of that sort of alternative thinking. So does that make sense? It, it does. I, I think that uh, there's a old Persian saying that we meet fate on the road, uh, the, on the road, we chose to avoid it. And in your attempt to avoid uh, spoken word and, and distraction, you met uh, Alan Watts and, and were totally distracted and focused on uh, his work and, uh, and incorporated into yours. I, I think it's perfect. I think in a similar way, you, uh, this is, even though in the book, we don't have who wrote what, which, which one, um, which I think is good, uh, plausible deniability that, that, that it was one of us, but the, uh, you, many of your, maybe to give it away, many of your posts, any post that has, or any article that has in there, uh, quotes from songs is, uh, definitely yours. So how did that come about? Like, do you, do you regularly read quotes about songs and how did that get integrated into your, uh, into your writings? Well, I'll say the Genesis, uh, my, my dad had a vinyl record of, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time. And, uh, in driving, my dad and I would run errands a lot. And, uh, he, he was, Basically, he was saying how he always found the lyrics of, of that album partic particularly poetic and, and that he thought that Paul Simon should be the, the poet laureate of the United States. And, you know, sort of based on that suggestion, I, I did a deeper listen to the lyrics and, and agreed completely with him. It's, it's one of the most profound series of lyrics that probably has ever been written. And, you know, from that point, it's, it sort of just clicked that, that what artists sometimes are saying can be really profound beyond uh, the poppiness of the song, and that it, it sort of captures at least the, the zeitgeist of the time, that, that what's going on as this music is being created is, is sometimes captured, and that by listening to the lyrics and listening to music from, from different time periods, it, it's one way of, of getting to the core of existence. What are, what are the things that are continually wrote about or sung about uh, that people are grappling with? And, and I find often that within one sentence, uh, a song lyric can capture something that would take paragraphs, if not pages, to explain uh, more academically. 
So yeah. as, an, as an economist, I'm using it because it's the most efficient. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I definitely think that overall that summarizes the last few you know minutes of the podcast summarizes a lot of the interesting parts of the book integrating in. It's not just a straight, I'd say, boring anal uh, analytical take on life and things. It integrates in many elements of it. So I think it's a good representation of overall why someone should pick up the book and give it a thought and, and give it some thoughts. And, and I would say that if they enjoyed the podcast about the book informed by the blog that inspired the podcast, that they really owe it to themselves to buy the book. Yeah, absolutely. I will include a link uh, in, in this podcast description of, or this episode's description of where you can buy the book. It's on Amazon. You can Google it as well, thinking analytically. So feel free to buy it and, and, and support the cause. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Dr. Jackson, I think that wraps it up for today. It was great chatting with you as always. I enjoyed it immensely, Dr. Heath. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, we, uh, if you like this, please feel free to share it with others and uh, subscribe. And we will see you in a little bit.